Good morning. This is One in 36, a presentation from Anderson Center for Autism, celebrating their centennial in 2024. One in 36 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And today I am really thrilled to have with me Sarah McKeon, who is the General Manager of uh, or for New Jersey Airports. Sarah, thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Eliza. So we're going to get into some really cool, innovative, unique, forward-thinking um, work that just went on at Newark in Terminal A. But before we jump into that, I would love it if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Um, I, for one, do not know exactly what the general manager of New Jersey airports does. So maybe you could give us also some insight as to your role there. Sure. So um, I have an engineering background. I started studied at Stevens Institute of Technology and graduated from there in 2004 and joined the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, the same organization that I work for as general manager uh, 20 years ago, which is insane that it flew by that fast. Um, started in the engineering department, but knew I didn't want to be an engineer for the rest of my life. Had some experience doing design work for aviation at Newark Airport and Teterboro Airport specifically, um, and was able to work my way back to Newark Airport at, first as an assistant maintenance manager and kind of Work my way up the ropes to the highest ranking person at Newark Airport right now as general manager. And when you say you don't know what that means, you know, my family doesn't know what that means either. Like, so you're general manager of New Jersey Airports. Like, can you get us free tickets? Can you get us? <laughs> no, we can't. We operate the airport. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just, just joking. What are the perks? That's what people want to know. Right? right, of course. And basically, there's no perks, all the stress. <laughs> Um, and, you know, the perks are rewarding in terms of what we're able to deliver in a product um, where we touch so many people's lives traveling in the New Jersey metropolitan area. Um, people coming in, people coming out and people making great connections to international and domestic flights um, in and out of Newark Airport um, and as well as overseeing Teterboro Airport. So as general manager, I have responsibility for oversight of the entire Port Authority operational team who are uh, responsible for delivering a safe and secure environment for airlines to operate in. Um, we do operate Terminal B completely uh, on our own at Newark. The Port Authority has a responsibility, so I've got a whole uh, operations management team who oversees Terminal B's operation. Um, we have a third-party contract at Terminal A, new Terminal A that we're going to talk about today. Uh, yep. And we have staff overseeing that group. And then United, as um, a hub carrier at Newark, operates United Terminal C. Um, anything outside of the terminals, including the runways and taxiways, the airfield, the roadways, the parking operations, all of that is operated by Port Authority teams, either internal with our own staff, or we've got third-party contracts that do that. So I kind of oversee all of that operation. Wow. That's um, a ridiculous way to respond to you, but that's all I have to say, because that is a lot. And already in the first like three minutes of talking to you, I've learned all sorts of things I did not know. Um, Mostly because I've just, you know, I go to the airport, I get on a plane, I get usually where I'm going without a hassle. And get back, but I never really stopped to think through all of the business aspects and the organizational aspects of an airport. Um, in, like even when you said the taxiways and all, it's like it, it's all separated, but it works beautifully together. Um, so obviously you have a, a gigantic job 
Um, and we are going to be talking about um, Terminal A, but I just think since you just laid all this out for me so beautifully, um, I think I'm going to start with just asking you for your perspective on what you've seen changing over the last couple of years. And it doesn't necessarily have to be specifically related to the pandemic that we went through, but, you know, airline travel and travel in general has just, I think, changed dramatically in recent years. So from your perspective, you know, is it is it improving? Is it a stressor on the teams that are working to to keep that environment safe and successful and efficient? Or, you know, what are the what are the things that you're seeing? So I'll just say even before the pandemic, certainly the pandemic changed the way air travel is approached, period, by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, But even before the pandemic, there was a shift in how airport operators were viewing their roles, because it's not uncommon. The structure that I laid out at the Port Authority is kind of a common-ish structure. It's usually not a... Um, there's usually like the airports are run by like a city organization and there's airport operators that are hired by the city. We Mm -hmm. have a port authority, so a bi-state agency, but structurally um, airport operators have responsibility for delivering the basic infrastructure, making sure that's available. And there has been in the past, there was a huge focus on just safety and security. Like you're just providing the infrastructure. You're only focused on that. All your money is spent on infrastructure maintenance, infrastructure redevelopment. And we didn't really think too much about the customer. Um, and it kind of was like across the organ, um, the not just the port authorities and organization, but across the industry. And I'd say probably in the mid 20 teens. So like the 2015, 2016 timeframe, we started seeing a real shift in, um, a focus on the customer, focus on how customers experience air travel and how do they experience it at an airport. It's not just when they're in the air and in the, on the right. flight. And it's not just the airline's responsibility. It's the airport operator's responsibility to deliver on that as well, collaborating with the airlines and all the third-party service providers that it takes to run an airport. And so certainly as we hit the pandemic, you know, first of all, 2019 was a record-breaking year in and of itself in terms of passenger traffic. And we were highly focused at the agency, but again, industry-wide on customer feedback. Like we want your information. We want to know what you want to see more of. We want to know what you want to see less of. Tell us, and then we're going to use that information to help inform where we're going to invest and what we're going to focus on. Then the pandemic happened and right. everything came to like a screeching halt, right? This We went from this hugely record-breaking number year in 2019 to 2020, where we had almost no passengers. And mm-hmm. the passengers that we did serve had hugely high expectations for what we were providing to protect them. So we had to have everything under the sun, including like, you know, hand sanitizers, every single touch Everywhere. point, yeah. wiping down everything. You needed masks available for people who forgot theirs and all that. And so, you know, we were already poised to be in a customer supportive kind of operating stance, and it really forced us to then take the health and safety piece of it uh, and kind of double down on that through the pandemic. And now as we're kind of coming out of that, and I think that we're, at least from a travel perspective, we're like back to pre-COVID numbers in terms of travel in 2023. At Newark, we set a new record in terms of the number of passengers that we served, and our focus remains on the customer. We've shifted away from people you know, people's expectations have changed again. So they're not as concerned about like, oh, do you have hand sanitizer everywhere? It's just like where you do have it, make sure it's full. 
But I also want to make sure I have lots of options to get to where I need to get to. I want to do it fast. I want to do it effectively. I want people to communicate very clearly with me. And I want information available at my fingertips. So I want you to have a really robust website that I can utilize to figure out where I go, what I do, how I need to get through my process at your airport. Yeah. And so there's a huge focus on that communication and clarity to customers of all different um, needs, right? We're looking from, we're, we're serving everybody from the great generation, wherever they are, the boomers, you know, all the way down to <laughs> the Gen Z and the, you know, the little baby children that are kind of now being born in their, you know, I guess to be generation alpha or whatever it's going to be. Um, I mean, we're literally trying to serve, um, people who across the spectrum of the ages that we're serving and the volumes that we're serving in each age group. We're just trying to meet every single need and the needs are very different. We've got analog in one half of the, um, People that we serve, you know, the well, people in the boomer generation, even some of the Gen X generation are really looking for printed tickets still. And they still want to be able to, you know, physically bag tags and they want to <laughs> you know, tag their bags and they want a physical touch. They want a physical person to speak to. They prefer that. They don't want the technology versus the millennials and the Gen Zers are like, hey, <laughs> if it's not an app, like, I don't want to talk to you. I just yeah, want to exactly. my money. So really trying to figure out the balance of providing um, all the right touch points and the right ways for everybody that they expect. So um, once again, small job that you have yeah. in front of you. Um, <laughs> no, that's, that's a great explanation. And it makes me think just, um, it makes me think that I, I guess to, to, if I were to put a big sort of label on it, I would say that you're having to be responsive to sort of everything all the time. Um coming at you and and I can relate to some of it because I think that certainly um during the pandemic at least I, you know we all were forced to figure out ways to get what we needed and get where we needed to get to um really very independently without without talking to somebody um certainly without without being near someone else mm-hmm. you know it was really all done virtually and then I think maybe what happened here is that that some of us myself included now really relish and I think further appreciate more than I used to being able to actually talk to somebody face to face and smile at them and feel reassured that they know where my bag is going or like they they really are wishing me a nice trip or you know even the folks in security who are amazing and let's just do a shout out to to those folks who have been through so much um but i still find when i do fly that most of them have a sense of humor are trying to make the the environment as pleasant as possible um and so you know i I really enjoy that but i think there was a whole nother group of people um maybe not necessarily only by age but definitely a group of people who got into that and said well i don't ever want to go back from this Mm -hmm. i like being able to do this by myself the the social interaction part of this made me nuts. And and I love that we've now proven that we don't necessarily need to. And so you have the tremendous task and your whole team does of saying, of recognizing, well, yeah, we actually can. It was like when everybody said, well, we're only going to do this Zoom thing for a little while, but then we're definitely going back to the office and going to meetings. Well, now we've shown that actually a tremendous amount can be done by way of virtual, you know, connectivity. And, um, and so there's this weird balancing act of like, we have to recognize that it works, but also be open to the fact that not everybody enjoys it. And when you're also adding on to that, that really you are a customer service based industry. Um, when I walk through airports now, um, I mean, some of them are literally feeling more and more like an amusement park or at least a, a high level mall than it ever felt when I was younger. <laughs> um, so there's a lot there. And I, but I, I love that you're, um, 
trying to do it all. And so thank you for that. And, and thank you for the team, um, to the team. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, let's just dedicate the whole rest of this conversation to what's going on at Terminal A. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of your early visions and then, you know, what propelled this movement to create, um, the space as it is, including the sensory space that's now there. This right. is 136, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You saved my life. You held my hand when I was scared. You helped me say goodbye to my dad. You were an example for me. You gave me strength when I thought I had none left. I couldn't tell you then, but I want to say thank you, all of you, for everything. Thank you to the physicians, nurses, and others working in America's hospitals and health systems. A message from the American Hospital Association, American Medical Association, and American Nurses Association. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. And now, 1 in 36 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm talking today with Sarah McKeon, who is the general manager for New Jersey airports and um, has quite a job to do. It sounds really exciting. And um, it also sounds to me like it's one of those jobs where no day is the same. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that. Yes, you're nodding at me. Absolutely right. <laughs> um, so I appreciate all the background and it really is fascinating what's happening to, you know, in the travel industry, um, especially when you're working with private entities, lots of consumers with all sorts of needs and a huge variety of expectations. Um, ranging from, you know, really serious sort of medical health related needs all the way to, you know, music in the background as you're walking or whatever. I mean, so many things that the right stores, the right places to get the bagel, whatever you might, might want, or, you know, the Bloody Mary, if you're so inclined and, and families and individuals and everything. And then also you're, you're combining this work between municipalities and all these private entities that are providing those services. So it's just, it's overwhelming. Um, to me. But now for this part of the conversation, I'd love to just hone in on Terminal A, um, which is, I think, a, a really new endeavor. Um, I'd love your thoughts on sort of 
I guess, the evolution of it. And then the sensory space that is now there that is serving an incredibly important purpose, um, specifically when it comes to people with neurodivergencies. And um, but I think really probably everyone who walks through that space um, so we can, we can go there. Um, Anderson Center Consulting and Training was, um, was one of the parties that worked with you all, um, around creating that space and helping people understand the purpose and how to make it really unique and impactful for the population we were focusing on, but also again, for all travelers coming through Terminal A. And now I'll hand it over to you. Tell us about it. Yeah. So Terminal A, it's hard to believe, opened in 2023, January of 2023, but it took us 14 years to get to opening day from the day we started planning to the day we opened. Um, And so the 14 years encompassed lots and lots of things, including, you know, let's make sure we design it correctly so that we can be ready for like the next iteration of what comes to change, big change in terms of travel. One of those things happened to be COVID and happened before we opened up uh, and did cause us to delay a little bit because we changed our air filtration system mid while we were literally in the process of installing that brand new terminal. We updated the design and delayed the opening by a year to allow for that update. So talking about things that we were focused on in Terminal A, one of the driving factors was really meeting the needs of the customers and making sure that you said it earlier, air, air travel is more like being in a high-end, you know, fashion, uh, not fashion, but like a, a retail environment, a, an amusement park environment. So making sure that we're providing surprise and delight across the terminal because it's our first brand new terminal since the 1970s, basically. Um, and how do we make sure that we capture all the right things to all the, all the audiences that we serve across the board and how many people we're going to serve there. So after we had completed all the design, we were in construction and we're thinking about, okay, when's going to, when are we going to open? We're going to do 2022. We're going to push to 2023. It came to our attention through uh, the Port Authority um we have a vice chairman of our board who has a daughter who uh, has autism. And he was like, hey, is there any kind of like thought in terms of this terminal for spaces for people who are traveling with families, uh, family members who are aut- have autism or on the spectrum uh, or have neurodiver- neurodivergent needs? And we thought, oh, geez, we thought we covered everything. You know, we made sure we had security right. We had concessions right. But, geez, we didn't think about that. Let's look at where we can provide space within the terminal that's dedicated to people who may need a minute to collect themselves in this really hurried, really challenging, really loud environment that is a terminal. And um, literally with in-house staff uh, and forces, we were able to kind of frame out about a thousand square foot space on the land side of Terminal A. We kind of captured it uh, from space that was going to be designated for airline offices uh, and reprogram it for what we now call the sensory room, um, which opened in the middle of 2023. So it was a little later than the terminal because we had to do some finishing touches, um, mm-hmm. but we did get it up and running, uh, which is really exciting because it's the first sensory room at Newark Liberty International Airport um, that is Well, it's the only one right now that we have, and it's the only one that's pre-security in the Port Authority's realm of terminals uh, across Newark, JFK, and LaGuardia. And we think it's really special because we have, like you talked about, you know, we brought in experts from the Anderson Center who literally work with the um, autism community day in and day out. They know what's productive, what's helpful for people who are going to need to utilize that space. What are the design elements that are helpful to bring in to that space to make it a really um, comforting 
calming environment as opposed to something that adds to more chaos, adds to more stress. Um, and their input was tremendously valuable. We had started a design and they kind of helped reinforce some of the decisions that were made. And they also gave us some ideas about how we could sign the, the room itself about, you know, making it accessible, making it clear that it's not a, it's not a space for just anybody who has children that wants to come in. Cause there, there's, you know, it's a very, it's about, like I said, it's a thousand square foot. It's publicly accessible. It's got fish tanks in it, big, huge fish tanks with tropical fish, which is kind of like exciting. If you're traveling with children. You're like, oh, something to distract you, please. But the idea is that it's not supposed to be all access for everybody. It's supposed to be reserved specifically for people who have that need. And that you don't have to be a child to access that room. It could be anybody who is neurodivergent or yeah. with autism that can access the room. Um, anyway, so they kind of helped us figure out how to articulate access in a way that makes sure people understand that it's open, but it's not open for like everybody under the sun. Um, and they really helped us to understand how um, families specifically of people who have uh, young children and children who are uh, living with autism and are traveling with them, how they proactively seek information and where the right place for us to put information out on our website and how to word it and how to explain how you access it was really something that we could do without having to try and capture that audience ourselves proactively by putting it out on our website, it would be found. And that was something that, you know, we didn't realize when we were going in uh, to how we could get that out to the community. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we've got to send, you know, bulletins to every autism center that's in like the tri-state area. And let's like make, and they're like, no, no, just get it on your website. That's going to be where people go and look for it. And it's been really helpful to us in terms of how we can make sure people are aware of it. Um, Great. I just wanted to, we're, we're going to run out of time in a couple of minutes, but I just wanted to go back to something you first said, and it's great to hear that the collaboration happened. You said surprise and delight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you were talking in broad terms about sort of, that's one of the things that you think about when you're, when you're creating a space, a new space for any purpose, surprise and delight is such a great phrase. I love it. Um, and it also gives me the opportunity to remind our listeners that, you know, Surprise and delight is unique to each person. What might surprise and delight me is not going to necessarily surprise and delight the person I'm traveling with even. Um, and that's what make life, makes life interesting and, and unique and you create relationships around, you know, those, those similarities and differences. So when it comes to, um, uh, autistic individuals, whether they're children or adults or, um, family members traveling with somebody with a neurodivergency, um, Surprise and delight also impacts them. It should be accessible and available to everyone. And so I love the fact that, you know, what you're describing, that this is a unique space designed specifically for people who really will benefit from what you've put in there. Um, and it's meant to surprise and delight, which I just love that it kind of goes hand in hand with with everything else that's in the airport and in the terminal. Um but this one with a little bit more specificity. And I think that's, those are the changes going on in, in our world right now. Um, but you're doing it on such a large scale in an airport, in such a large airport, um, in a large area that those, those bigger actions, I think are what is going to continue to perpetuate this social change, which is so important for all of all people and all communities. And I also just wanted to underscore that while I think families, traveling with children have been very, very vocal, um, which has led to a lot of this change about the fact that it has become very difficult for them to travel and go on vacations and access, you know, all those opportunities throughout the world to visit uh, because sometimes not because their, their loved one 
sort of won't enjoy the, even the flight or being at the destination, but getting just through the, the process of getting to an airport and getting through to the gate is so challenging. People have had to turn back. There are also a number of, I think, especially now, remote working adults, um, people entering the workforce who uh, are neurodivergent and have found a really great space for themselves to further their professional careers because they can have an environment that they have more control over. Um, I would think, I, I think I saw in one of the press releases or one of the news pieces that there was a young woman who was sitting on the floor in that space on her laptop, which so many people work when they're waiting for their flight. But it uh, opened my eyes even. And I've been at Anderson for 17 years and it opened my eyes to this is another group of people who now can potentially travel with far more comfort and be even more successful in their adult life because they can have a little bit more control over that environment, which otherwise may have felt very chaotic. So I just wanted to underscore that. We have about a minute and a half left, Sarah, if there's anything you'd like to just share um, as you wrap up. Yeah, I'll just remind everybody that TSA is a great program called TSA Cares. And if you contact them before your flight, they will meet you at our sensory room if you're flying out of Terminal A, and they will escort you through the TSA screening checkpoint. And that part in itself is really challenging. And coming by the end of this year, we will have a post-security sensory room. So you'll have a place both pre and post security to kind of be able to calm and relax yourself again before the storm of TSA checkpoint and after before you get onto your flight. So we're really excited. We're not done. We're going to keep innovating. You know, again, that feedback from clients of all needs across the board, whether you're on the autism scale or some, you're just a traveler coming through and you have, you know, requests, we are taking everybody's feedback and we are looking to help inform our future designs for future rebuilds for future terminals. That's our goal is to continue improving. So thank you so much for having me, Eliza. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled, Sarah. Thank you for being here. Um, and I just also want to just say thank you to the entire um, Port Authority of New York, New Jersey. I mean, your leaders in this field, your leaders in, in this area. So I love that. And, and we look forward to your next endeavors. Um, remember all this information can also be found if you do a search. Um, uh, and you know, this, we're, we've been talking today about the sensory space and terminal A at Newark airport. Um, stay tuned for more information and keep those comments coming because obviously people are listening, including Sarah McKeon. Thank you so much to you and your team. Thanks, Eliza. This is 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 36, a weekly presentation from Anderson Center for Autism, celebrating their centennial in 2024. Join them for another edition of the show next weekend.